Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzoo Vine for July 19th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from a morning, Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, uh, good to have you all on. And just to kind of set up our show in about 20 minutes, uh, joining us back again from Gravis Marketing, um, Doug Kaplan. He's going to be telling us about the polls they've done. They've actually put a good many polls in the field um, with some varying results from different states, and we'll be asking Doug about those. But until then, we're going to cover a handful of different issues. And the first one, of course, is a very sad issue, which Catherine alluded to, um, the passing of Congressman John Lewis, civil rights icon. Um, so many things to say. If you haven't uh, gone on to many of the news sources, the AJC, CNN, um, CBS Sunday Morning did something. There are so many incredible, not just tributes, but places to find out the history of his life. I would highly recommend doing that. Um, but each one of us, uh, you know, personally knew him to some extent. Um, and so we thought we'd just kind of start off by talking about that. Catherine, you were the fifth congressional chair while, of course, he was the congressman uh, from the 5th Congressional District. So I'll let you start off. Okay. Well, while I was I was only 5th Congressional District for a short time for a variety of reasons, but while I was, I did have a lot of contact with him and his staff to support you know, things that we were doing in the Democratic Party. But my, um, I have two favorite stories of my um, relationship such as it was with Congressman Lewis. The first one is very uh, sort of, um, uh, and not very personal, but I, I was driving down Monroe Drive in Atlanta one day, which is right by Grady High School, and I saw Congressman Lewis parked, he had parked his car at Sig Samuels Dry Cleaners, which is a classic dry cleaner in Atlanta. Everybody goes there. It's like a, you know, icon and there he was getting out of his car with a big armload of clothes taking them into the dry cleaners and I was like oh my god that's John Lewis, Congressman Lewis taking his dry cleaning in and I just remember thinking that was such an authentic and uh, ordinary thing for a congressman to be doing and it really touched me then later uh, I volunteered to help him on one of his campaigns and we went out uh um, canvassing one and, and putting in uh, yard signs one Saturday afternoon, I think. It was a hot day, and he was with us, and he was walking around this, this neighborhood, and it actually happened to be the neighborhood where his uh, a Democratic opponent lived, the actual street he lived on. Now, one thing uh, people should know about Congressman Lewis was he was a diehard campaigner. He loved to campaign. And when he didn't have opposition in Georgia, he would go all over the country campaigning for other Democrats. He was really into it. So there we were, were on a warm afternoon with um, yard signs and we're knocking on people's doors to see if they wanted a yard sign. And so Congressman Lewis had a big old mallet in his hand, you know, like a bit with a long handle and a big like rubber mallet to hammer in the signs. And then he had like an armful of Hand, uh, yard signs in his other hand, arm and he would walk up to the door and knock on the door and the resident would open the door and they'd be they'd be sort of shocked like here's congressman john lewis in a congressman john lewis t-shirt with a mallet and a bunch of yard signs and he'd say do you want a yard sign and how can you say no right to, he's right there ready to put <laughs> it in your yard and he, he would just walk down to the lawn and ask him you know where do you want it and he'd hammered in and then go on to the next house and he was tireless like we were all you know getting hot and like 
how much of this are we going to do? But you can't stop if he's still going. I mean, he was, he had 20 years on most of us and at least, and there were a lot of young Democrats and stuff. And I just remember really enjoying his energy and his um, interest in talking to people, you know, he'd knock on the door and he'd talk to him and then he'd put the sign in and keep moving. So he was a, a, a wonderful spirit as well as being such a great leader and so passionate about justice and freedom and equality. Um, we were, I, I just have been reflecting all weekend on how fortunate I have been to have been represented by him. And then also to have these sort of personal um, experiences where I saw him in action. So I'm just really, I feel really honored and, um, and uh, of course, a great sense of loss. Yes, Tim? You know, I was thinking that in my lifetime, um, being around politics, it's, it's been a, a long time I've been around politics. Uh, I got to say that very few have been the occasions when I literally was in, how do I put this, in awe of the person I was talking to. I, I was certainly in awe when I had an occasion 21 years ago to sit beside John Lewis at a political dinner for two hours um I, I I want those listening who never met Congressman Lewis to understand something. He he was one of those rare persons who was exactly like he appeared to be. That he was the one of the most authentic people I believe I have ever met. Uh you you know, a, a lot of political people can turn it on, turn it off, but he 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 was he was always the same. Um, that that particular evening in Somerville, um, he got there early. There was no one in the room except me and one other lady who was going to work the front table, and that's the only reason she was there. It's a lady by the name of Miss Ollie Cash, and um, so. I, I, I introduced them to each other. It turned out they were both from Troy, Alabama. It turned out further that they knew each other's families and stuff, and they all knew the same people. Well, Lewis sat right down with her, forgot that me and his aide were even in the room, and for about the next 20 minutes, there him and Ollie went talking about this person and that person and when's the last time you've seen so-and-so and it was the darndest thing you've ever seen in life. I thought, my goodness, here's John Lewis sitting here in Somerville, Georgia, carrying on this conversation uh, uh, about, you know, folks that they know back home in Troy, Alabama, like anybody else would carry on a conversation like that. And, uh, he just had Miss Cash totally engrossed with him for, for, for about 20 minutes. They swapped uh, phone numbers and stuff, and I, I assume they talked to each other on the phone some after that. But I really wish that uh, a lot of people could have seen that particular uh, little event happen because can't we all imagine a lot of people uh, in politics who uh, you would never think of doing something like that. I mean, there's a man who didn't make news. He made history. But yet there he was doing, like Catherine mentioned, such an ordinary and common thing, and it, it was just striking. And I was I was glad I was there to witness it, David. Yes, and I wasn't there as early as you were to see all that, but I, I, I was there that night too. I saw him speak, I won't say countless times, but you know, probably more than you can put on two hands. And I'll say that, Tim, I, I believe the night he spoke in Somerville, I guess he had more time to speak. He was just maybe that remembering home uh, fired him mm-hmm. up. It was probably the best uh, speech he gave. Um, mm-hmm. It was a good one. Part of the room, and, and you always put a good mm-hmm. environment on. Um, but I um, 
my memory, I guess you will, is I was lucky enough to actually we designed two websites for him. Uh, my company, we did. Uh, I built. I was the designer on the first site uh, that we built for Congress. And fortunately, I had uh, the talents of Gilbert Avalier, who's one of the best political web designers you'll ever see. Um, working, and then he built the second iteration, and, and that's what the life and legacy of Congressman Lewis deserved is those kind of talents, not my own. Um, but one thing I'll say is um, every once in a while I'd you know ask for a button from a candidate I worked for. But one time that I really was like, you know, I want to get something, was I asked his um, uh, chief of staff, Michael Collins, you know, Michael, can I, can I get something? They sent me shirts. Uh, they sent me um, uh, buttons and some more things, and I'll tell you this: I still have. They sent me two shirts. Um, and actually, they're those shirts that I didn't actually just start go cut the grass in or whatever else have that you get from these political campaigns, because, like you said, it was a, a part of history. Um, you know mm-hmm. that you don't just you know do any old thing with something that this part of the John Lewis um, campaign and legacy, if you will. But I uh, just such a huge loss and and, you know we'll get into the next phase of this but one thing i'll say is no matter how wonderful a pick is made um and then that person runs and wins and i hope they're an incredible congressman for catherine in the city of atlanta you just know and they probably know when they take that oath of office that there are such shoes to fill they might not even be able to fill those shoes um because of how grand his um, service and legacy. I don't mean just what he did back in the day. I mean just even being in Congress. He had a a 30-plus career since 1986. Uh, One more thing on that. There is a book, and I know it's in the Georgia State University Library. I don't know if it's elsewhere. It's not the best written book. I'll go ahead and tell you. Somebody that, that went to all the little voter forms and got all the um, flyers from the campaigns was in the district back in 1986 when John Lewis and Julian Bond and how many other candidates ran for that seat when White Fowler um, vacated the seat and, and ran for U.S. Senate. And it is such an interesting book because you just don't realize that when that campaign started, Lewis was underdog to Julian Bond. And he had mm-hmm. to run an incredible campaign. This wasn't the campaigns from 88 on he ran. He had to run as the underdog against Julian Bond, um, and and he beat him. And so it shows what an incredible, um, and I mean this in the good sense of the word, politician he was to be able to win that election. Um, But let's kind of just kind of move on just to the procedural, because like I said, Catherine's been a congressional district chair. I've been a congressional (laughs) district chair, and Tim currently is one, so we've all served on the – uh, Democratic Party of Georgia's executive committee, so we know the situation Tim's going to be in during this week. But just the process, and Catherine, I know you've been keeping up with the process, like step one, step two. If you want to start it off, and then Tim, if you see anything that needs to get kind of corrected, if you will, how is this going to go about filling this seat? Catherine? Okay, my understanding <laughs> is that uh, within – uh, 48 hours or 24 hours of knowing of the passing of the candidate, and this we're talking now about the ballot in November, in November, and Congressman Lewis as a candidate. Okay, once it is determined, it is known that the candidate is not able to run. So obviously, he's not because he's passed away. Within 24 hours. Of, or the next business day, I think. I think that's right. Twenty-four hours. Um, the Democratic Party of Georgia has to nominate someone to fill that candidacy. So what the what the Democratic Party of Georgia has done is they've selected a, they've they've formed a nominating committee. And that nominating committee <clears throat> will present uh, – I thought it was just one candidate, but I think they can present 
three to five candidates to the executive committee of the Democratic Party of Georgia, which consists of party leaders, congressional district chairs, um, Senate and House leadership, um, and some other leaders of uh, affiliated organizations. So like the um, Committee of County Chairs, the Women's uh, Democratic Party of the, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a women's group that has a place on there. The Young Democrats have have a slot. And then those, um, that executive committee will vote tomorrow before the end of the day so that they can submit the name to the Secretary of State um, to replace Congressman Lewis's name on the ballot. So that's, and it's quick. Um, that's the way state law is written. It's really unfortunate for many, many, most of the people that serve on that executive committee have been very close to Congressman Lewis. He's been, obviously, he's been in Congress for many years, and he's been very influential and very um, present with the Democratic Party of Georgia. So, you know, there's a lot of people mourning and uh, grieving the loss of Congressman Lewis, all the while having to take care of these uh, sort of bureaucratic matters. But uh, my understanding is that it's all underway. And um, then the other part of this is that there has to be a special election to fill the remainder of Congressman Lewis's term, which will end, I think it's January, I think swearing in is January 3rd. So there's that. So from now until January 3rd, right now, like for instance, right now, I have no representation in the House. Um, Constituency services will continue uh, under the leadership of the House, the Secretary of the House, I think that's right. And they're and their staff, the, the staff will continue on until the new um, congressperson takes takes office, and maybe beyond, beyond that, you know. So there's there, the governor now has to has to set up a special election to fill that remaining seat, which is also very complicated, and we don't really need to go into all those details. But that's the way I understand it. Tim, do I have that right? Yeah, pretty much. The governor, I believe, has 30 days to set the date for a special election. Uh, As with most special elections in Georgia, I'm sure this one would be uh, a jungle primary type thing with everyone appearing on the ballot. Uh, There would surely be a runoff, which could run into a... Uh, a little bit of trouble time-wise with coinciding with the general election. So I don't know what the governor will decide to do. Some people have openly suggested that the governor just set the date for the special as the same date as the general, which would pretty well take care of things. Because if there was a runoff then scheduled for January, as we mentioned before we went on the air, with a new person taking um, the new term at the beginning of January, then the runoff would basically be nullified. Um, yeah. And we'll probably kind of know the answers to those by next week's show. Probably the answers will be revealed well before next week's show. Because I can't imagine uh, – you know, Brian Kemp waiting 30 days after the other part of this process has to be done by a close of business tomorrow. Um, well, guys, I want to welcome in uh, to the show for uh, just about the, you know, maybe fourth or fifth time from Gravis Marketing. Welcome, Doug Kaplan. Hey, how are you? Oh, doing good. Uh, Doug, you have been busy. Y'all have been putting out more polls at Gravis Marketing than probably any point that I've seen since we've been having you on the show. Do you feel busy? Oh, yeah, we feel busy. It's a very busy time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, and I don't mean just, oh, it's an election cycle, duh. I mean, it just seems like you're putting out more than even typical. Um, so good work with that. Um, well, there's so many different polls we can talk about, but the one I want to start off with is um, I want to start off with one that kind of caught my attention. Um, it was back at the start of the month. We polled Arizona, 
And uh, we can mm-hmm. talk about the presidential part of this, but I wanted to talk about the Senate part of this. And um, you found that um, Mark Kelly, former astronaut, is 42, and he's being – he's following uh, – he doesn't have the lead over uh, incumbent Senator Martha McSally. Now, that poll that you conducted, I guess, in late June is the only poll I've seen recently that doesn't have Mark Kelly winning. Um now, this is kind of like math class where they say, hey, show your work. Um, Doug, I'm not saying you're wrong, but tell us why you're right. How did you come up with that, that result that's different than so many other polls of Arizona? Listen, it's what the results, it's what the results came out to be. Uh, so that's the best, the best way I, 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 could, I could explain it. 95% of the time we're right, 5% of the time we're wrong. You know? that's, that's, that's the confidence level. So one out of fifteen, you know, one out of uh, fifteen polls are, are no good. It's possible, it, you know, it's 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 that poll. However, um, I, 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 I was focusing on the presidential race. We had Trump plus four. CBS News had the race tied um, on, on a on a poll they had um, uh, seven seven to seven ten. Now a lot changed since six twenty six when we ran the poll. Um, they're the epicenter of where COVID is. They're ordering body bags. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republican government governors have, have done a lot of people say a horrible job. So I would say that if I were to do that poll again, I would probably say the race has flipped and Kelly is ahead. Yeah, and and I'll say this is is I do think that there's a lot of Republican politicians, and in particular, and probably some you know maybe some governors that are Democrats that that COVID has popped. You know, possibly affected. Although the Senate race, I, I don't know that it would hurt Martha McSally that much. I would think it just, you know, Mark Kelly's just seemingly a dynamic personality. Um, sure. Well, let me ask you another question. It doesn't necessarily have to be about Arizona, and this seems to be um, kind of the secret to polling, if you will. And um, they talked a lot about it. A lot of Trump uh, surrogates talked a lot about this this week. Is how many? Democrats you poll how many independents and how many Republicans and you have to kind of pick that formula out and you have to say well I think the electorate is going to be this you know percent Democratic this percent Republican and this percent independent um, without giving away all your secret formula how do you think that formula is going to skew nationally and then if you have a state that you have, you know, have a better handle on um, because that's going to, I think, be where the pollsters that get it that right are going to have the best polls. Yeah, you know, it, it, it can move the results a few points either way, um, you know, one to two points either way. That's why you have a margin of error. You know, you'll see a margin of error of 3.5% in the poll, so it could can, it can be three and a half points one way, three and a half points the other way, and that's what that means. Um, I think Trump is so far behind that it doesn't, at that point, it doesn't really matter because he's outside of the margin of error at this point. Anything can change, but he's very far outside the margin of error. Okay. And, so that... in, 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 in every important national and the important swing states that he has to win, for Florida, uh, the Blue Wall in, in, in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Yes. Well, I may have some more questions later, but I'm going to pass this to Catherine, and she's going to pass it to Tim, because um, we know you've got a lot of different states you've polled. Catherine? Good evening. Yeah. Thanks for being on with us. We appreciate Hi, it. Hi. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Um, I, want to, I have actually sort of a general question and then uh, some specifics about your Florida poll. I, I wonder, sure. uh, first of all, have you seen a um, – any impact from uh, the pandemic in terms of your uh, response rate and results? Has that had any, um, has that improved? I mean, are people more willing to answer the phone or answer your, um, however you reach people because of COVID or is it the same? You know, has there been any impact on that? Yeah, it's been a little bit better. People have been at home during you know, business hours. So the response has increased, not significantly, but it has increased. Yeah, I, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. I was as I was looking over the polls, I was wondering about that. Now uh, about Florida, 
it looks to me, I mean, I've only just read sort of over your, you know, sort of general overview. It looks to me like two things are happening in Florida. The independents are sort of uh, leaning pretty strongly towards Biden. And it looks Mm -hmm. like the pandemic is having an impact on um, President Trump's support. Do you think that if we if the if we slow the roll on the pandemic that those numbers might change? Or I know it's hard for you to know, but do do you think it's that important? Well, I think it's I, I think it's a complicated question. I think responsive. I think the key question in in the poll was responsibility for COVID uptake. Um, overwhelmingly, people select DeSantis and Trump, Trump being first, um, and, you know, did Florida reopen too quickly, 56% say, say yes. Now, of course, if there's a miracle drug that comes out tomorrow and all of a sudden <laughs> the cases come down and they do something in Florida, then, yeah, maybe it, it could change. But there's not, nothing that's happening. Being here, uh, they're not even mandating that you wear masks on a statewide level. So this is only going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. So that... And am I correct in, in um, my assumption that the, this, the pandemic is having um, a large impact on Trump's uh, support in Florida? Do you think that's a major it's, yeah, it's, part it's, it's, of it's destroying? It's, I think it's destroying him in, in Florida, uh, in Texas, uh, Arizona, in the last mm. four weeks, um, in the Sun Belt states, um, and and you know now you see six. Dice starting to see cases in the Midwest uh, uptick. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely people blame him. If they blame him um, and they put all the responsibility on, on him, it, 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 you know, his ch- chickens have come home to roost on this for sure. Okay, well, thank you. That's, that, that was very informative. I'm going to pass it to Tim. Go ahead, Tim. Okay. Good evening, Doug. Thank you for being on with us again during this busy, busy time for you, sir. I know. Um, I was looking at another state on our border uh, that really caught my eye, your poll of South Carolina. Uh, Okay, yesterday. It's a state that the president, I believe, won by like 14 points um, four years ago. You had him ahead by only four, and I noticed that Lindsey Graham had like a 48-41 lead on um, Harrison. Um, are Graham's numbers actually being pulled down by the struggles of the president, or is it a sign of unexpected strength from Graham's opponent, Harrison, or do we know this? Well, well, I, I think Harrison is doing better than expected. Um, I, I would have expected him to be a little bit closer to Trump because he's a dynamic candidate. Um, but it's really Trump uh-huh. who's underperforming in South Carolina. Um, Graham is, at, is, is underperforming by a couple of points. The key thing for Graham is he's under 50%, so he can be beaten. Uh, I mean, if the Democrats could win a state like South Carolina – I mean, then they're going to win every state. Then it's, it's, I mean, the Republicans have to hold South Carolina. That it's within four points should make every Republican very, very, very concerned right now. Yeah, um, and when when you say hold a state like South Carolina, we're talking a state that probably if you pick out ten states that Donald Trump is absolutely going to win no matter what, you know, before the election ever starts, South Carolina would make that list of those 10 states, right? Right. Well, I mean, if somehow the Democrats are close in South Carolina, then Georgia's off the board, uh, North uh-huh. Carolina's off the board. So, 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 so it's interesting. He should be up a lot more than four. And, um, you know, I think that's exactly where, where he's at right now. He's in, in South Carolina, again, record COVID cases. People don't talk about them. Not a huge state. There's 3,000 cases a day there. A lot of people dying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's exploding, and um, people there again they blame mm-hmm. Trump. Um, I wanted to turn way north now to the state of Minnesota. 
That was the state that Hillary Clinton won by, I think, around three points. It, it, it was really close. And the state where going into the campaign, uh, the Trump campaign had thought that they could expand the map by playing there. But your new poll shows Biden with a very significant lead. And I was wondering if a little bit different dynamic from the virus was playing uh, out in Minnesota because that's where the, uh, you know, the unfortunate killing of George Floyd took place. If, if that had anything to do with what's going on there in the polls. Yeah, well, this again, that poll was about a month ago, so it could have changed. However, we ran it uh, mm-hmm. about a week after the pro, a week after the protests, and what we mm-hmm. saw again were people people were on the side of Biden and the Democrats, blaming Trump for COVID, blaming Trump for the pro, for pro, you know, some of the protests going wrong, um, and mm-hmm. you know, really blaming Trump for not having an empathetic response. Um, people in the mm-hmm. poll were definitely on the side of the protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, all these polls taken together, are, are, are we seeing this election really, really, really making a hard turn into an absolute up or down referendum on the president and, and Joe Biden is essentially a bystander? Yeah, I mean, someone said the other day Fred Flintstone could be running, but it's not Fred Flintstone. You know, it's just a form of former vice president, uh, someone who's very, very experienced, uh, who's, uh-huh. who's really beloved by, by, by many, but it is a referendum on Trump for sure. Um, and and with, with, with COVID out there, you know, I mean, he, Trump probably had a better than even odds of winning before COVID, after impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, incumbents generally win. But now it's a whole new ballgame. And it's not because of COVID. It's because of his management of COVID. And that's what something mm-hmm. people have to remember. Mm. One more question, and then I'll send it back to um, sure. David. Um, I, I don't really know if y'all have done any polling about this or not, but what I wanted to ask about was the popularity of mail-in ballots. Wouldn't it seem that this year, even though the president and some others are personally opposed to them or say that they are, that mail-in ballots would be very, very popular with the voters in states where mail-in ballot balloting is normally not done. Have you seen anything in your polling about that? Yeah, I haven't seen anything on it. But, you know, in Florida, we call it absentee ballots. And it, was, and it used to be a Republican thing, extremely uh-huh. popular. I would imagine right. that the president is suppressing his own votes on that. But I, but I, don't, but uh-huh. I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know for sure. Oh. All right, and with that, I'm going to send it back to David. Thank you, sir. Yes, well, Doug, I want to go back to the Florida poll, but I did want to talk about the um, results with candidates. Um, part of the poll you did um, just this week in Florida, talked, uh, you know, you asked about the popularity of wearing masks, and 73% of Florida voters uh, backed the uh, masks mandate. Um, I don't believe right. – Statewide, Florida has one because Ron DeSantis has been one of the more anti-mask um, politicians in this. But 70 percent is a huge number. Uh, what do you think the disconnect is between the people of Florida and Ron DeSantis? Boy, those 27 percent that are against it are, are strong. They're loud. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I think I, I think at least DeSantis has, has allowed the, the, the mayors like Jerry Demings. Democratic mayors take control over that and, 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 and do masks where the governor of um, Georgia, Kemp, hasn't. Um, but, I, but I don't see, understand what the disconnect is. People are overwhelmingly for this. I think maybe he doesn't want to upset the president. I think he doesn't want to upset the president. Uh, he, mm. he, he, he owes the president a lot for his election for winning that Republican primary last time against Adam Putnam. Mm. Yeah, I think you're kind of interesting that you brought up Brian Kemp because they've handled it so different. Um, Brian Kemp wears a mask, talks up the you know the value of masks, does the state tour, um, says, oh, there'll be no college football if we don't wear masks. But then, A, won't mandate them, and then, B, when people like um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, uh, she 
you know, requires them, the mayor of Savannah, the, the city council of Rome, Athens, Georgia, they all put in mask mandates, won't let them have them. But then Ron DeSantis doesn't really sing the virtues of mask, but then doesn't sue people, if you will. So it's kind of weird in the way they've uh, both handled that. Um, well, kind of yeah. moving back up north, because like I say, you've done so many polls. You did a recent poll, I guess it was in conjunction with OAN. Um, you have Donald Trump at um, 48 and Vice President Biden at 45. So it's showing that state in play. Kind of give us the underlying of those just top-line numbers. Boy, that's a close number for Trump in the state of Georgia. He's only up three, uh, under, way under 50%. Um, I would say within the mar- it's really within the margin of error there. Uh, I think Biden could win Georgia. Hmm. Yes. Ooh. Well, I mean, do, do you kind of break it down by regions? I mean, is it like is um, it just based on past politics, or is it certain states Joe Biden's outperforming Democrats or Donald Trump's um, underperforming Republicans? Well, I don't see any states that I, I, if I look at my not I'm listen. Some of my polls, I told you, one out of 15 of my polls are wrong. It's just the way everyone's polls no. are. It's a 95%, you know, 95% interval there. But if you look at every single poll, there's really nothing Trump could, could hold his hat on and say, okay, I'm doing good here, or maybe I'll pick up Minnesota or Nevada, Nevada because I'm doing well in those states. There's really nowhere he could hold his hat on. Uh, he's losing by double-digit points nationally. Um, so right now he's in, he's in big trouble. And, and Biden has some exciting things happening. He's about to select his vice president. He'll be the first female vice president, very possibly an African-American woman. Um, so it's, 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 it looks like it's just going to go, go, go up for him. Yes. Well, I mean, and Doug, I, I know our co-hosts feel this way, and I'm sure um, a lot of our listeners are smart to know, too. A poll is a snapshot in time. If you take a poll in July, by November, everything could change, and no one could prove you weren't 100% right or 100% wrong because – we don't have a election that day. Um, we have an election in November. So, I mean, I think everybody knows this is trend lines and you have to put it in with other data. Well, you also polled the exactly. two Senate races, and I wanted to talk about the special election. You had Doug Collins uh, with 24% and then Kelly Loeffler with 24 I'd agree with you, or I'm sorry, I, I think your findings are, are right that Doug Collins is doing better than Kelly Loeffler. But if you add that up, They're very early, yeah. Yes, that's 50%. The top Democrat is Raphael Warnock at 18%. This, if yeah. this held, and, and once again, you know, three months from now we'll actually you know, pick up ballots, um, a Democrat wouldn't make the runoff. Why do you think Raphael Warnock, Matt Lieberman, and Ed Tarver are not breaking through and becoming at least the number two candidate in the field? I think it's the opposite. I think it's right now Collins or Loeffler haven't has not broken through yet. So right now they're both kind of disliked, and so they're stuck in the they're stuck in the twenties. The Democrat hasn't really spent his money yet. So I think the Democrat will mm. break 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 through and be fine. And I think Collins probably will be the opponent. Mm. I think Collins yes. will will be will, will will be there, and I think Raphael, uh, that gentleman, will be probably go second based on the money, you know. Yes. Um, one, man, one more state I want to ask you about, and that was North Carolina. Uh, you had a, another, I guess, fairly recent poll that showed Donald Trump up by 3%. I don't have the actual numbers. Still, yeah. Um, yeah, but, but um, what were your findings in North Carolina? Yeah, listen, North Carolina, I think that's, that's a state that um, that that uh, Hillary won, lost by Something around that. So right there, uh, you know, Biden's overperforming. Biden's overperforming in every single state of what Hillary did. The race was so close. It was great. It's great news for um, for for Biden. And a lot of the North Carolina again was a poll taking before COVID exploded there. So I was curious to see what it looks like now. Uh, we're going to do we're going to do that shortly after the next three polls in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin next week. Yes. Well, uh, Doug, we thank you for coming on. Now, if people have heard you and they want to get those polls even faster, um, what's the way that they could follow you on social media, sure. find your website, and um, get those poll results? 
Just follow us at Gravis Marketing, G-R-A-V-I-S Marketing, on Twitter. Twitter. Yes. Well, well, Doug, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Doug Gravis of, uh, I'm sorry, Doug Kaplan of Gravis Marketing. They're based out of Florida, so, you know, he has, I guess, a special knowledge of his home state. Um, If you couldn't tell that when he was discussing those results. Um, Well, we mentioned the lawsuit, if you will, um, and that was kind of one of the big stories early in the week. Um, You know, the city I live in and the city that Tim used to work in, Rome, they passed the ordinance to wear a mask. Of course, the largest city in Georgia, the capital city, Atlanta, passed a mask uh, ordinance, um, a mandate. Savannah did, Augusta did, uh, Athens, Georgia did. And there's probably a lot of other towns around the state that did. But then Brian Kemp said, those are not valid. You cannot pass one. Uh, state lo- law supersedes local control, and, and, you know, Republicans love the term local control. But then he went so far as to sue not really the city of Atlanta, but the mayor of Atlanta by name and the city council by name. Catherine, why is he doing this? I have no idea. I do not understand it. It seems so – it seems very petty. You know, he can speak out and say, you can't do that, I guess. But to turn around and sue and waste taxpayer money on such a suit, which is, I mean, I don't know if it'll win or lose, but it's uh, a complete distraction from the importance of getting everybody masked up and social distancing and um, and then the important work of the state. Uh, public State Department of Public Health. This is uh, it's just un, unfathomable why he would focus his um, attention and um, taxpayer money on suing the city, on suing the mayor and the city council. It just seems, uh, like I said, it just seems petty to me. Yes, and it seems like, you know, if he's trying to score political points with his base, why in the world is he doing that? Did he learn nothing from Nathan Dill, his predecessor? You know, if he's the incumbent Republican governor, if he's having trouble with his base, which I, I don't – I haven't heard any indications he is, then he's in real trouble anyway. Shouldn't this be the time he tries to rectify things and not – tick off people unnecessarily, and whereas he could still, I guess, try to, you know, feed whatever notion he has about who has control and who should wear masks, suing the actual mayor of Atlanta and the um, uh, city council by name just seems like, you know, it's kind of like the commercial where he blew stuff up with dynamite. I mean, it's going out of his way. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on this move? Well, if you if you call out the mayor of Atlanta and the city council, the government of Atlanta, see, uh, that feeds into the narrative that Atlanta is not representative of Georgia. You know, I we 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 got to think about Georgia, and Atlanta wants to go off and do something different. Secondly, he didn't name any other cities because. Number one, he doesn't want to alienate half the state. Number two, he doesn't have to name any other cities because if he wins the suit against Atlanta, uh, then he's basically won it against every municipality in the state that, that's doing it down to Hinesville. Um, he said something very telling. He tweeted, uh, this suit is on behalf of the Atlanta business owners and oh, yeah. they're hardworking employees who are struggling to survive during these difficult times. That that see, Trump is is pushing this narrative, and I couldn't help but notice that Trump was there right before this suit was filed. Um, but Trump is pushing this narrative that it has to be a choice between the economy. And the virus 
it never has entered their minds that that one of those things is happening because of the other thing. And if you get the virus under control, you get the economy under control. But they don't see it that way. And I'm with you on something, David. I do not understand why Kemp just didn't do what DeSantis did uh, in Florida about this, unless Kemp really does want, want to make a political issue out of it. Try to score political points and may and and try to uh, bake that choice into voters' minds that you know it's either the economy or the virus. Choose uh, like the virus cares who you choose, you know. So uh, experts are split, by the way, on whether Kemp will win this suit. I think he will because the court system, at the end of the day, the last word in the court system is always going to be a Republican word. Um, so you you know that that that's where that's where we're at. Um, uh, isn't it funny, by the way, guys, that they're all the time screaming about return control of everything to the local folks. They hollered that with schools for years, and now Trump's up there, the president, screaming, open the schools. They hollered that with local control of ordinances and stuff for years at the state level. What's happening? The governor's trying to play strongman over mayors and city councils all over the state. Gee, what happened to what they used to say, David? Well, they want to, they want control of government to be at whichever level they have control of. Oh, you know, right. if they only had uh, the dog catchers, then everything would be a dog and it need to yeah. get caught. And if they have the executive branch, then we practically have a national dictator. I mean, that's what they yeah. want is whoever they have in control, they want to use that authority. Um but we'll kind of see what outcome. But I'll tell you this. I really think until you change the minds of people, and I don't know that we're going to do it, um, certainly anytime soon, but in, until we change the minds of some of these people, it's just going to be out of control because they're going to violate the ordinances. Because I will tell you what. I heard from somebody that was there on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. After it went in effect in Rome at the Walmart, somebody told me, that they were actually, I take back. It wasn't the Rome ordinance; it was the Walmart ordinance. This is how bad it's gotten. Mm-hmm. Walmart's making you wear a mask. Um, they're actually the socially responsible ones. Um, and so Walmart put in an ordinance, you know, saying you can't shop in our store unless you wear a mask. I guess ordinance is not the correct term because it's a, a store policy. But people going into the East Rome Walmart were just saying no, getting ugly. And apparently by the end of the day, they didn't even wear the mask. Um, so until you change fools' minds, you know, the laws are only going to be so, – our rules are going to be so effective, um, if you will. Well, um, let's kind of, you know, change gears and try to cover another topic or two. Something that wasn't on the agenda because it was just said within the last two hours, Kanye West held a, a rally in South Carolina, a campaign rally, and he said that Harriet Tubman never actually – freed the slaves. She just had them work for other white people. Um, I know y'all didn't weren't prepped on this, but after you've what? Uh, read what I, uh, Philip Lewis reported, um, Tim, do you think uh, discrediting the legacy of Harriet Tubman is a real winning campaign strategy for Kanye West? That sounds like Sarah Palin telling the story of Paul Revere. You remember that? I mean, what what is he even talking about? Now, by the way, the reason West is over there, he's trying to get up enough votes or enough signatures to get on the ballot. He's already in the ball, on the ballot, by the way, in Oklahoma. Now he's trying to get on the ballot in South Carolina. He needs 10,000 signatures, and that's why he's there. But what is he talking about? She had the slaves go to work for other white but what is he even talking about this woman worked in the underground railroad and she personally escorted over 70 slaves to freedom herself 
Well, what is he talking about? She I, was working for the for the Philadelphia Anti-Slavery Society. But what what is he talking about? I, I do not know. Um, no idea, and I don't. I don't even know if he does, uh, which is the biggest problem. <laughs> Catherine, I'm going to ask you a different question, and then we're going to move on off of Kanye West. I'm not a uh, aficionado of his music, but at what point does your clownery outside of your music career begin to have an impact on your music career until you become irrelevant in that genre? Oh, I don't know. I've never, I've really never paid very much attention to Kanye West, mainly because of his association with the Kardashians. It's that whole thing is like um, a mystery to me. I don't get it. I don't understand why it's, why they're popular. I don't, I just don't get it at all. Um, But this presidential run, you know, it it was on, then it was off. Now it's back on. Uh, It's, it just seems like a desperate need for attention that he must not be getting in his music career right now. So he's trying to gym that. I don't know. I don't know if that's what's going on, but um, I think it's time to go to another topic. <laughs> because yeah. I, I, I hate to give him much oxygen, honestly. <laughs> I, I think the estate of Ross Perot is paying him because they want to make Ross Perot look better in, um, you know, posthumously uh, by running a third-party candidate uh, David, like Kanye West. David, <laughs> David, yeah. uh, David, since you brought it up, I want to ask you a question. Should a person professional career be um, penalized by consumers because of their politics? I don't know that he should. I mean, because I'll say this, like I'm not an aficionado of Kanye West. But if it was a musical artist that I really, really liked, you know, would I let someone's, um, you know, political or social views um, cloud how I felt about their music? That's complicated. I mean, like, if I got hurt, I would have a blood transfusion in two seconds to save my life. Prince didn't believe in that because he was a Jehovah Witness. Do do I not want to listen to Prince's music because I didn't agree with him on how he feels about blood transfusions? Absolutely not. Um, I mean, I guess there's mm-hmm. some things that are so odious. I mean, if you found out that somebody you liked was a neo-Nazi, um, that may step over that line. Yeah. Um, uh, but but this that. just seems like a lack of, of, of uh, sophistication. Like like he somebody needs to tell him more things, and then he needs to open his mind and learn more things and not nonsense like – yeah, Tubman, sound. Um, you know, it, was, it, sounds, it sounds like she yeah. was a, a temp agency, um, not not yeah. a, a freer of the slaves. Um, it, it, to, be, to be brutal, it sounds to me like his bread ain't done, but you, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> most definitely. Um, we won't get at the DMSV of uh, whatever edition we're up to to try to do more analysis. Well, Catherine, I, I, I would tell you we're going to go into another highbrow issue, but as you all know, this one was on the um, docket uh, before uh, we went on the air. And early in the week, um, we know before early in the week, the president or so ever runs Goya products. So they're not just beans, oh but they do they sell more than beans. I didn't really actually know all they sold. Um, but of Goya products is a Trump supporter. Um, I don't even know who the individual's name is. I probably should have researched it. But Ivanka Trump took this strange picture. She looks like one of those spokesmodels back from the game shows in the 80s where you held up the product on The Price is Right or, or whatever else. But she's holding up the Goya beans next to her face with, if it's Goya, it's got to be good. It's practically an ad, which is not allowed for government officials to advertise products, I guess, even if they're not getting paid. Um, people pointed that out. So what does Donald Trump do? He does not call Ivanka in and say... Don't do that. He says, get me five Goya products, and I'm going to pose with them in the Oval Office behind the desk. Um, on the resolution. 
Behind, yes, I mean the the iconic office, the the gold curtains, everything. The presidential seal may have been in the picture with the two thumbs up for the Goya products. What in the world is going on? Well, you know, thousands of people are dying from a pandemic. This is what he puts his puts his attention towards is uh, advocating for a product it was just i mean seriously some days i watch this and i'm like is this real or is this saturday night live like since saturday night live can't record their show are they just like in the white house (laughs) i don't know i i mean i laugh because if not i would cry it's so it's just so disappointing um and sort of horrifying to see our president doing this um and for what for what purpose like how did that serve him you know we always think that whatever he does serves him but how did that serve him i don't understand yeah it's that old if you like me i'll like you back it kind of reminded me you know the apprentice they would always feature products yeah. or whatever, you know, like you've got to create an ad campaign for Tic Tacs and then Donald Trump would be on there. And yeah. Tic Tacs, they're the best breath mints. I love to eat Tic Tacs so my breath smells bad. And, you know, and he would show the product because it, it helped his show. And that's what this kind of reminded me of. Um, that's a Tim, good point. I'm, good. Yeah, I'm going to get to the other side of this. Uh, Bob new I probably mauled that pronunciation of that name. It is a product that is hugely popular in the Latino community. Now, people outside of the Latino community, I'm sure, eat the products as well. But this is not a community Trump has been friendly to. He wants to build a wall, uh, literally, between that community. He's deported people. He's put the children in cages, everything else. I know this gentleman probably lives a much different life. Uh, than the people who have to worry about that every day. But those are the consumers of his products, by and large. Why would he do this? Okay. Robert Yunanu. Yunanu, thank you. (laughs) Yes, he he is the CEO and and, uh, owner. It's family-owned business. Uh, They have, oh, 2,200 are so different products. You you walk down a grocery store aisle yeah, there with the and and the, the Goya stuff is all over the place. They get they got juices and just every kind of bean you can think of and rice and just all kind of things. Uh but uh the way this came about I'm fairly certain that Ivanka because you know you you remember seeing her picture first with the cannabis. I'm pretty sure she talked Trump into this nonsense. Uh, he was there supposedly for an event that Trump was having, uh, like celebrating Hispanic uh, businesses in America or something like that. And Yunanu and Fox News mentioned this too in his defense, said, well, you know, I did the same exact thing with President Obama and with Michelle Obama, which he did, the same thing. Now, here's the difference. The Obamas didn't pose with Goya products at the Resolute desk. There's one difference. This president viciously separates children from parents at the border and puts them in concentration camps. And this president wants to end DACA, among other things. You said it yourself, David. This this president is no friend of of the Hispanic community in this country, and and has shown that. Why this guy would say he's a supporter of the president, uh, I don't know. And then he complained about how vicious the response was to him. And he said, but when I posed with the Obamas, there was, you know, no viciousness from the right side. Well, that's 
obviously because there were no pictures of Goya products in the Oval Office, for one thing. So um, that's how this came about and turned into another Trump twilight zone. Uh, Did you ever dream you'd see that? Now, I know we've asked that about Trump before, but did you guys ever dream you'd see President Trump sitting in the Oval Office behind his desk with nothing on the desk except products, prepackaged foods and stuff from some from one company, and him holding up his thumbs like, I don't know what you said, like the funds, David, which I think was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Sometimes you just run out of adjectives to describe this stuff, don't you? Yes. If if the people or the person or whatever uh, wouldn't fear for their safety, I think it'd be great if somebody in these full light to these pranks and all would uh, go up to whatever check-in gate at the White House and say, hey, I'm here for the food pantry. And they'd be like, what food pantry? Hey, I saw it on Twitter. Because, I mean, literally <laughs> like he was opening a food pantry. <laughs> I, it's bizarre. I mean, and does it change anyone's vote one way or the other? No. That, is it, does that it, is does it matter in the larger scheme of things? No. The biggest thing is I think it probably hurts Goya Foods because if there's probably not significantly because they're like Coca-Cola, they're such a big brand. But if there's some other kind of frijoles, somebody else might start buying those instead. It may hurt their bottom line. Tim? I was just going to say, where did the president get the idea that there was a political upside to having such an absurd photo taken of him? (laughs) And I want to remind y'all that the photo with the Bible, remember that? That also was Ivanka's idea. Perhaps the president should listen to someone else about political photos. Just say it. Okay. We're going to go over time, but I did read something this week that I want to explain. And while clearing all those people out using such physical force to walk across that park and pose in front of that church was a horrifically bad and undemocratic idea, actually I heard that Hope Hicks said the idea was to take the Bible, open it up, and read a passage of Scripture. Which, taking aside all of the other bad idea to that, would have at least made some sense, in particular if you, you know, picked a good piece of scripture. But Donald Trump nixed that part of the idea. He took what the only little thing that could have made any sense about having the Bible there, nixed it, probably because he knew if he read the King James (laughs) Version or something, he would have read it wrong. You know, no, I mean, no, other than he, he wept, he probably would have screwed up any other Bible verse if it had a big you word. Think he, you, you, you think he couldn't find two Corinthians or something? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, mean, that's, I mean, but I heard that, that Hope Higgs actually had that part of the idea, and that part got nixed. So Donald Trump, even when he gets, I won't say good advice, because that makes it sound like I think the rest of that nonsense was good, and it was illegal, not good, but the part of it that made it a little more rational, he just took that off, and then he's just holding a Bible up awkwardly. And that photo will can and will be used against him in a court of public opinion because they seem to use it in every <laughs> ad against him. Now, we'll see it. They mm-hmm. think of the whole thing, and it's been a net negative, um, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, it's been a good show. I want to thank again Doug Kaplan. Tim, we've already got our guest book for next week. Um, since you're so good with names tonight, tell them, tell everybody who we're having. Well, we are having our 14th district congressional candidate next week. You know, um, there's been a lot on the national news about the 14th district, and um, Kevin Van Osdell will be with us next week. No, we're not having Marjorie Green for you people who are getting excited. But she she's the reason, and we're going to be talking about her with them and some other things, and we're looking forward to having Kevin on with us. Yes. Well, and we can ask him if racism really has ended, like Marjorie Green said this past week. <laughs> well, 
Guys, it was a great show, but until next week, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.